Welcome to the Lead with Excellence show, the podcast that dives deeply into topics like scaling a business, international expansion, and talent management. Welcome to the new episode of Lead with Excellence show. On the Lead with Excellence show, we chat with executives, directors, store leaders, and investors in order to deep dive in topics like sharing and scaling a business, international expansion, talent management, M&A, and many, many, many more topics. Our goal is to share these learnings and experiences to help leaders find their way to grow their company and lead with excellence. Stefan, welcome to this episode. Thanks uh, for having me, Thomas. So before we deep dive in all of the details, um, Stefan, give us a little bit more about your background. Who are you? And tell us a little bit more about Sales Gladiators and what you guys are doing there. Of course. So yeah, in, in a brief nutshell, um, I think uh, for, for 10 and a half years, I devoted my life a bit to, to uh, SaaS and, and revenue and, and sales teams, executive leadership in SaaS, uh, where for, um, I, I started uh, 10 and a half years ago at Just Eat, where for three and a half years, I, I uh, helped or contributed as the sales leader to take the business from uh, minus uh, uh, 500k, sorry, to, to 7 million uh, euros ARR. I did that in three and a half years. It was not only a me, a me of course, it was with, with the whole team, but I was the sales leader there. And just it also enabled me to be an independent uh, sales leader as such to, to build out my own agency alongside for it, uh, alongside it. And hence, uh, Sales Guerrillas at the time was born. Uh, where after then just did, I, I spent uh, four or five years on, on various scales up, uh, scale ups as an executive uh, uh, sales leader. Um, must be said somewhere in the middle, I even had the bankruptcy, but again, I mean, we don't have to uh, elaborate too much on that, but it, it's part of uh, entrepreneurship. Part of the journey. Uh, absolutely. It's like uh, Morpheus in the Matrix said, I, I remember that I'm not here because of the path that lies before me, but uh, uh, because of the path that lies behind me. Eh? I always try yes. to know those things, stay conscious of it. And then uh, after that uh, uh, event, uh, two and a half more years, I, I was a dedicated executive sales leader. Uh, but I felt over time I wanted to do something different, uh, a different constellation than being a dedicated sales leader to to one company, wanted to think of something scalable. And I took six months off, a really crazy idea to revamp my business model. And I also calculated three months to put it in the business, uh, to, to put it in the market. And what is this business model? Well, a fractional VP sales as a service, uh, where, where I would take two companies in portfolio at the same time, be their executive sales leader part-time again, and switch mornings and afternoons between the two. And hence the business model of sales gladiators as it is today was then born where uh, uh, they can benefit from that versus hiring me full time. But then after validating that alone still for two and a half years, I again craved more thought of scalability, scale up my own business as I always scale the businesses for so long of others. And then the concept came sales ops as a service, CRO as a service. And, and that's uh, today then where we stand, where I have a co-founder. I would strongly advise to find a good co-founder. Eh? And that really also uplifted my business uh, by, by not being alone anymore. And he's a sales ops specialist. And, and then together, yeah, we started to, to shape out uh, this, this business actually eh? uh, uh, as, as, as such. And, and what we try, aspire now to build is to be a house of uh, revenue and, and sales expertise, uh, where we then offer yeah, CRO, sales leader, sales ops as a service, 
but half-time specific business model. And we try to inject professionalism and, and models into these uh, uh, companies where typically for a year, a year and a half, we help with taking their sales machine to the next level. Um, and then, yeah, um, uh, uh, typically it's either sales ops or CRO or both. Ali, that, that can vary. Eh? Uh, ho hoping that answers your question. <laughs> and so basically you are building up the infrastructure, coming up as a fractional C uh, CRO or C C CCO. And then once the, the infrastructure is there, the, the go-to-market has been defined, you leave uh, room for a person who is there then to, to bring the, the company to the next level. Well, in all transparency, our business is also now at the next level as sales gladiators itself that we hope we, after a year, a year and a half, we can yeah, uh, participate. We can at least that we are, uh, that the, the organization thinks we can't be missed. That's, that's the thing. And that for a long term, uh, we, we build a relationship. And even if that's not the case, that's okay. But at the very least, a year, a year and a half. So what we do is not consultancy. Sometimes people interpret it a bit wrong. There's a lot of consultancy in the market. But what we really aspire to do is uh, put our boots in the ground, really from within, internally in these organizations, take responsibility, take leadership, and then inject our, our expertise. And I can say after all these scale-ups, We've built up a certain cadence, a certain flow, a certain expertise that, that we always, yeah, repeat, injecting these companies and tailor to whatever is needed, of course. Eh? Yeah. And so, I mean, let's go back to these companies that you helped. You, you've, um, after Just Eat, you also helped about, you contributed to, to Just Eat and then you helped about 15 companies to date. What would you say are the important phases of growth? And especially, I think, uh, when you start in the early, like half a million, million euros, what is the role of the founder um, in that journey, right? So, so through all of your different uh, companies you've been helping, what, where does the, the journey of the, the, the founder go? Uh, well, it's, it's an uh, interesting topic. Yeah, we talked about it casually a bit earlier before eh, in, in preparation of, of, this, uh, of this recording. Uh, I think in Belgium terms, um, yeah, I, 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 can, I think you can say um, um, your audience is zero to 10 million euro ARR. Hey, you told me that for me, it's more or less the same. And of course in Belgium, it's different than in the larger European markets. It's definitely different than in the U S the different stages or what we can say Ali, in the U S it's, it's uh, very quickly about tens and hundreds of millions of euros. And there are very many of them in Belgium. It's unfortunately. <laughs> We're all collectively trying to change that, but it's slightly different. So there, what we label with sales gladiators is we say it's a zero to one million euro ARR, one to two, two to five, which I would propose to combine here for the sake of the, the thought exercise. And then you have five to 10, which are the most occurring, I think, if, if you do that in LinkedIn and check the segments in Belgium, we know these numbers very well in all these stages. Uh, as, as you go above, uh, it's a very select, very small group. Eh? Even then, uh, uh, and, and um, these three categories, I, I would say, um, after we put that into con a context, it's a real misconception uh, that, that in every one uh, or, or zero to, to one uh, ARR company, 
the, the founder should lead the sales or even do sales at all. Eh? It, it, it's a, a taboo, if, if you will. It's something that people don't like to talk of or, or founders in general. It's a bit of something they don't like to be uh, confronted with. Um, but, but, um, yeah, same in, 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 in all other stages, actually, I would, I would strongly say that, that it depends on who is the founder eh, to, to, to start with or, or the founders, of course. And, and then what is their commercial, but not only commercial being able to do sales in, in a street way, if you will, but also in a technical commercial way and general commercial background. And how far does that truly level if they look in the mirror uh, the level of expertise you need to have to operate this, this professional revenue or, or, or sales machine also already at zero to one million euro. And, and then summarized in, in multiple of these categories, I, I see a lot of these founders or a lot of founders and, and I love founders, they, they, they hire us. So it's not, it's not a war, but I think it's also our job to, to make aware to that, that potentially uh, a lot of founders are not able to, to let go what the Harvard Business Review has labeled the, the founder dilemma. It's maybe a link I can share later on uh, to, to be seen if, if that's possible. Uh, but it's about, it talks about founders. Do you want to be a king or do you want to become rich? And that's maybe uh, uh, not only about the revenue machines, but the general uh, culture in these scale-ups, of course. But um, uh, often it's, it's so that a lot of people choose to, to play company or, or to not let go or not able to let go for, for so many uh, different reasons. And, and uh, uh, um, yeah, it's limiting their, their uh, growth. Eh? And you encounter this a lot in zero to one million euro. You do it from one to five, uh, you, you see two. And, and uh, it's, it's a lack of professionalism, a lack of leadership, commercial and general. Um, and, and aside from maybe a product market fit there, eh? but, but I, there, uh, it's important to, to take these things into, into account that, that, uh, the fit as you scale needs to be good. Eh? So if I rephrase what you're, what you're saying is you have two types of founders and I'm going to make extremes. One who have a, um, a commercial fit, let's say they, they are more or less, uh, doing the right things in commercial fit. Um, and there, the limitation is that because they have never gone through the exercise, they might be limiting the growth because they're not putting the infrastructure in place. And the other one would be, uh, people who are actually not good at all, hate it actually feel obliged to do it because of investor external pressure, but actually should let go and more evangelize, do more other things than, than, than basically, um, doing that. And that's across all of these different segments, whether you're zero to one, two to five, or, or one to five and, and, and five to 10. Exactly. And, and you have at sales, same as with sales leaders or with any uh, revenue uh, department leaders, uh, there are different stages and it requires different levels of professionalism, expertise. And there it's a matter of knowing what your strength is. And, and um, uh, there... Um, yeah, it, it, it's also, it, it, it then scales because it has much more implications if, if this occurs, this phenomenon, then, then uh, it leads to a lack of expertise and leadership in the teams, the whole organization in terms of strategy and operations. And again, especially in zero to one million euros, that's one of the main reasons I would say uh, many scale-ups don't make it beyond one million euro ARR. I mean, it's, it's harsh, but it's, it's just what I, I personally witnessed after 11 years. 
where I see also in the Belgian landscape, some, some people, uh, prospects of mine that I see and, and just people I've talked to, let's call it like that, that have beautiful technology, but, but then still, yeah, uh, haven't managed after five years to go beyond 1 million ARR. Yeah, something is structurally wrong there. And often it's the sales department, uh, uh, uh that, that I know of really that, that I truly, uh, uh, know of and, um, yeah, you would be surprised what you still see, even in, in one to five or five to 10 million euro ARR, especially in Belgium. It's very interesting because I was, um, I'm also interviewing in RLL, uh, Peter Jan Barton from Showpad, who now went from being the CEO to, to, uh, the chairman very recently, but he was explaining me that, um, in early stages, he was together with a couple of AEs, uh, the first sales machine he led. Um, one of the, the, for the sales director, uh, David Dupre basically put in the process and so on, and he kept an eye on it, but he let David, David, um, do, um, most of the process setup, but he was still very actively selling and contributing to the sales machine. But he obviously is a very sales driven, uh, CEO and co-founder. Of course. And, and when the value is there. Please do so, eh? uh, uh, by all means, Ali, I guess if, if it's uh, an option uh, uh, and, and it is a fit in the phase that you're currently in versus the expertise the founder has, do it. It's always the, the first choice, in my opinion. The reality of the matter is a lot of people tell themselves that or, or, or they feel they have to. And, and in reality, maybe it's, it's a better thing uh, to, to not do it. And that's why actually... Um, uh, one of, I have the greatest respect for founders who then come to the conclusion and sometimes you see it pass on LinkedIn, like, Hey, uh, I done some soul searching and now I feel I took the company to where I was able to, to take it for me as a CRO, those founders are my heroes because then you choose company first and not, uh, yeah, being a king or holding on to something, which over time is limiting growth and it can be slightly limiting growth first. But over time, it limits growth at scale, and that's really a problem. Eh? Um, okay, for, so for the listeners, and, and, and let's dig a little bit deeper into, into this topic of the different phases of the company. You mentioned uh, three, four phases here. Um, let's dig deeper in what kind of sales organization or sales teams do you need? What is the setup you need? Uh, you're doing both sales leadership as well as more and more, more operations, sales operations, revenue operations. So let's dig into this zero to one, one to five, I would say, and then five to 10. Um, looking for, yeah, what type of profiles are you looking for uh, when you start a, a, a mission like that? Absolutely. Um, well, I, I, I hope uh, that that's a sales organization. I, first to situate it, I typically build a high ticket enterprise sales machines, which also dictates a certain way I would look and build a sales team. I can imagine in a, a, a focused a, 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 a mid-market team or an, a, a very transactional uh, SaaS product a sales team would be shaped completely different. Eh? So let's um, define let define enterprise SaaS uh, for you. What's what kind of ACV are we talking about so that everybody is uh, on the same page? Uh, well, there the the uh, annual contract value typically is uh, um, uh, fifty thousand euros uh, ARR and beyond, uh, and and that's then excluding startup costs and all the rest, pure license. So I typically say in Belgium, the 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 the, the chessboard is typically for high tickets between fifty uh, k and one and a half million euro deals, 
And if you can make larger deals, this is a, a SaaS company, amazing. But I have not yet seen them <laughs> in my 11 years. Uh, so, so that's typically the, the high ticket uh, I'm, I'm talking about. And that, uh, of course, requires a, a specialist and a, a more uh, complex deal management and team uh, with multiple disciplines versus uh, something that can be sold by one a junior account executive. Eh? Uh, with that in mind, I think two account executives I hope to start um, and and um, with a lot of experimenting in the beginning, eh? because that's what these guys or these these people, because it can of course be ladies too, eh? by all means, uh, what, these, what these people need to do is uh, to focus on experimenting and, and uh, together with a competent, and that brings me to another sh- subject, with a competent sales or revenue uh, leader in, in terms of strategy to have the soundboard and the dynamics quite early on, because then um, uh, to come to something validated that is then properly iterated and experimented on in a small pot, which is two AEs, A players, uh, uh, and uh, a capable sales leader. And then you can take quite uh, uh, some speed. And there, contrary to popular belief, I do believe that in early stages, the right sales leadership can make all the difference. Uh, uh, especially if you hire two A players, they demand, the word is demand, uh, such leadership and guidance. And and uh, uh, where, where you work and, and roll out new strategies together to operations until you have something scalable. Because that's where it's all about. You you want to come to something scalable, um, and and you also need a, a top strategy there uh, uh, early on to start with with a very uh, professional sales machine. Because I think in enterprise sales sales specifically, there are not really second chances. I maybe there are, but it's a brutal game. Uh, uh, the standards are are high, eh? and you're competing with sometimes competitors that have millions and billion dollars uh, budget theirs. And and uh, I'd see all the more offering an enterprise experience in these stages, or also between zero and one million euro, is all the more an art eh? with then the limited budget and the limited resources. And and I would also say that marketing is mainly done by the sales team. Eh? And and I know uh, real A players cost more, but they decrease time to value. Uh, same with a validated sales leader or revenue leader. It just saves you time. It's more more probable to be spot on immediately. It's always worth it, I think. And aside from the uh, results, it 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 contributes to the profession professionalism and uh, 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 reaching scalability. Yeah, more efficiently and faster. Um, and and I I would almost say it to to, to say it summarized. Your sales leader can do more with A players, but your A players can do more with a capable sales leader. And if you have both, then you have the magic stuff in one to two, uh, zero to one million million euro, I would say. Uh, would you say that at this stage, it's not really a CSO that you're hiring, but more somebody who has already been partially on the trajectory, maybe as an AE, um, has managed uh, maybe a small team, that would be your sales leader. And then you have two capable AEs. Where do you find these? Because I think a lot of companies would say, okay, nice, Stefan. Thank you very much for this advice. Very logical. How do you find these? Well, I'm mean, talking 50K deal sizes uh, here at a minimum. So where do you find these kind of capable leaders? Because whether sure. you're talking Salesforce, whether you're talking SAP, they will not join a company who's doing, let's say, half a million euros in revenue. So where do you find these A players? 
Exactly. And and that's now part of our journey to to build up and, and also a direct calling. Uh, thanks for the heads up there. Or indirectly, I'm, I'm going to uh, do the calling there that, of course, people who uh, uh, feel uh, or can identify according to this description, feel free to reach out to us and, and see what we can do there. But typically, we handpick and hand source people based on the projects we score based on what a customer wants, based on the person we would place there. So it's not a system like we have people on shelf and we just say, you go there now. No, it's in close alignment that their background needs to match up. Uh, they can't need to be able to be passionate about it. And we, we aspire today eh, to source uh, all, all across uh, the EU, uh, because not only for Belgium SaaS companies, but there, of course, with the decentralization in mind of sometimes companies saying, I want to scale to the UK, I want to scale there to find a capable person that's uh, and, and then it's really headhunting eh? looking in the, the top SaaS companies in their discipline or, or similar to the project we have and seeing who can we source there. And uh, um, so, so it's typically a, a challenge also for us. I won't lie to, to find these people, uh, but, but we have our ways and, and so far, uh, so far it's, it's working out great. And, and uh, um, yeah, it's, it's very artisanal one by one, eh? one project scored, we hire another one and, and so we scale. Eh? But so let's say, yeah, uh, somebody listening here to the, to the podcast is not going to use sales gladiator for one or the other reason, but what would be. So you would say it's up to the founder or the sales leader, if you have that person to basically take the time, identify who would be good, uh, B2B SaaS companies with similar ticket sizes and go and, 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 and take a, a, a um, sales navigator kind of a license, find out about them, reach out, cold, cold, call them and try to attract them to your company. Yeah, exactly. And I think in LinkedIn, if you do a proper reach out and it's done by the right, I typically when I do a reach out to the profiles we look for, uh, uh, nine out of 10, at least I get the courtesy of a response. And I guess there, uh, uh, again, uh, regardless of indeed what we do, if you have a validated sales leader, typically they're great at sourcing people. Uh, typically they can even bring their own people because honestly, if you're a good validated VP sales or CRO, you've been to battle a couple of times with a lot of people. And normally it's a typical quality indication that uh, other people want to come immediately. I mean, that, that's something that not only me, but also uh, Jason M. Lenkin has said, uh, for example, I, I guess that that's where I read it or, or was inspired by, um, but, but I mean, not to be underestimated. Eh? Um, mm -hmm. All right. So let's look at the one to five million. So you reach the one million, you have this kind of first people. What's next? What do you do um, at that point in time? Absolutely. I, I guess uh, there, uh, first of all, I, I would hire a mid-senior uh, uh, marketing manager. I guess that's in B2B uh, SaaS and more so in enterprise, uh, enterprise SaaS sales, something that typically gets done way too late. They need a wrap-up period of about six months to really get it into the fingers. Uh, I mean, the whole messaging, the whole uh, familiarity with the product and with everything. And there, quite early on, I guess they're essential to pair both with sales and with uh, customers. Apologies, with customer success, sales to raise awareness of prospects uh, in multiple whatever levels of maturity they might be on on their search to the solution and find an answer there. Uh, but also for customer success, for current customers to create the content that's needed to retain them, they get the most out of it. So I, that's why I think 
I'm, I'm marketing, I'm, I'm elaborating a bit too much there, apologies, but I truly believe that that, that is something that is underestimated. Uh, and and um, a great CRO there, uh, because of course I have a certain predefined, uh, um, uh, or uh, how do you say, um, I have some past IDs, of course, because of what I do, I have a strong feeling that, of course, you should hire a great CRO early on. But I also shed a light on, on why I believe in that, regardless of sales gladiators, they have the ability, if you have a proper CRO early on, especially in one to five million ARR, I would say, hire the CRO. They can hire a mid-senior marketing manager, customer success manager, head of sales. And they can steer them. And, and that's the case that you just said, where you hire people, AEs or something, an AE with, with a great first experience as a first head of sales experience that under the CRO can in that year, a year and a half, be, be guided. But, but also, or just again, aside from what we do, to, to train them in a year, a year and a half, guided by the CRO to really become professional head of sales, head of marketing, head of CS. And then you can save versus immediately hiring super premium head of marketing, head of sales, head of, head of customer success. So it's all depending where you come from, depending on, on, on what you uh, would do. And I would also hire, especially two AEs, uh, start hiring SDRs. I, I prefer first in one to mil, one million euro, uh, zero to one million euro that the AEs are their own SDRs just for the whole experimentation and setting up the machine purposes. But as of one to five, start hiring the SDR, scale it up in, in line with what you need, validate, set up this SDR approach. Um, and um, uh, what I also maybe want to share eh, is, is just my approach on, on how I, I, I scale there eh, or I, I, my whole GTM strategy there. I believe in starting, of course, between zero and one million euro, very centralized acquisition from Belgium. If it's Belgian company, you build out the two A's here, you do it. Okay, great. But then I think you should have a multi-tier strategy in place that says, okay, if we start in the UK, uh, if we reach revenue threshold X or Y, we then start uh, to do a first account executive that's a native UK hire and that you build up a rollout strategy, multiple tiers that says based on achieving uh, revenue on a local scale, let's say the UK, you hire more and more AEs and, and stuff as, as, as such. Um, so, so this for me is also important that you start to think on that and also deploy that already in, in, uh, in, in this phase, I, I, I would say, um, well, and also... then five to 10, so we get to the five, five million. So you have your CRO in place. What would be the first kind of focus? I think just here, it truly is a numbers game. And, and it's already at, at uh, uh, let's say, uh, one to five, or it starts to become more and more a numbers game as you go to five million. But it truly becomes a numbers game at five to ten. Everything uh, uh, should be scaled accordingly, the team too. By then, you should have a good view on uh, uh, all the data uh, uh, of, of your sales team, on, on the forecastability. Uh, that, that you develop the cadence in terms of month on month that you can generate a certain velocity uh, that's constant, eh? uh, also not unimportant. Um, and, and there I would also start to migrate if you haven't done already to, to do the sales tech here, like uh, Lexi.ai, for example, or Gong.io or Unique for that matter. Uh, what they do is they record meetings of your, uh, of your, uh, with your customers and they analyze with a certain AI and textual, uh, uh, AI and what is uh, all that stuff. 
Uh, they give you insights uh, uh, in every meeting and at scale, especially if, uh, between five and 10 million. And if you start to size up the sales team and you, uh, you have multiple meetings at scale uh, every week, this starts to generate really data. And then uh, moving from the gut feeling, of course, based on the data and these kind of things can, can truly help there with deciding uh, via sales as a science, if you will. It's a tool to determine based by sales as a science what works, what doesn't, to pinpoint what is it then that doesn't or, or does work. And you can scale that then up to your team uh, in terms of strategy and tactics. So I guess that's also a major, the data culture and stuff becomes more important. Uh, and you would hire then a CRM specialist, a sales ops. Uh, that's also something we discussed in our earlier conversations, uh, who would then support this and takes ownership of building out further this data culture uh, from a commercial perspective. Eh? Mm-hmm. And now, one of the things I see regularly, and we discussed this in the pre-interview, was the fact that you have, um, once you get to this kind of two, three million euros in revenue, especially with kind of these bigger ticket sizes, what a lot of companies ignore or neglect way too long is customer success. Once you reach this kind of two, three, four million euros in revenue, half of your growth, half of your revenue can actually come from upsells and 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 selling additional features, selling additional seats, selling additional entities. What's your view on that? I mean, um, do you share that? What's, how, do you, how do you look at the customer success and, and on enterprise deals? Well, I would say uh, it's, it's 20 times cheaper. It's not me who came up with this. It's a general given or a known fact uh, saying that it's 20 times cheaper to retain a customer than it would be to make a new one. And in enterprise sales, uh, more so, it's all about uh, acquisition but much more about the upsell and it's, it's an LTV, a lifetime value game. Eh? Uh, uh, therefore, customer success and having a customer, uh, a proper customer success strategy is, is, is so essential uh, uh, in enterprise sales. Also early on, even in zero to one million euro, I would say I, we, we didn't uh, get to that and I, I won't uh, reset the whole convo there, but hiring a CS manager there also uh, has, has, has its value. Um, to, to onboard customers, but much more to, to really, uh, talk, uh, about, um, yeah, a strategy to upsell. And it's not as easy as, uh, as every three months you ask, is everything okay? That's what I'm talked about. Like you have to create a real journey with multiple levels of using your product. How can people come from level zero to one, one to two and drive the upsell, get the most out of their own product. So they renewal every year. Uh, to, to monitor also very much the use of such your product. Uh, it's, it's rare, but I still uh, uh, encounter that they don't monitor it at all. Uh, but, but typically today, fortunately, even smaller SaaS companies monitor somehow the use there. But it's critical that you monitor, that you see the churn coming, that you can anticipate with a customer success and, and that sales can focus on other things that they don't have to start putting out those fires too. Eh? So basically what you're saying is, you should have a acquisition strategy based on a staircase where you, you land a deal and then with expansion and customer success should be uh, not just a customer support or a glorified support, but really an active um, participant in generating and creating additional revenue. Kind like of you said, it's, it's 50% of your sales team at Thomas, like it's 50% of your revenue. I think in every company, it will uh, uh, variate strongly depending on how well this is deployed. 
and and maybe in some companies where acquisition is super hard and and very small uh, uh, numbers per market or something, there yeah your your renewals or everything there it can be ninety then even to towards CS. So I I, I think it, it's very important uh, uh, to 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 build out CS, which often people don't do. Uh, uh, Great. So one of the things that sales gladiator that you guys also do is um, sales ops or revenue ops. So. As the commercial team grows, the need for data is evolving as well. Can you give your view on that? I mean, you're specialized on that. Not a lot of people do. I mean, as you said, most of fractional VP sales, fractional CROs and so on, they focus on the team. They focus on yeah, the meeting cadence and so on. You guys have taken the, the view of, no, data is important, um, revenue opposite. Can you share similar to the phases where we had how many people you had, maybe what level of maturity or what kind of... Um, Elements you track um, in the difference zero to one, one to five, uh, five to uh, to ten. Absolutely, I think um, a classic thing is still, unfortunately, diversity for for uh, from uh, operational salespeople to fill in a CRM consistent uh, consistently, which is still for sales at least the main source of data. Uh, uh, for your data lake that you would need to to have uh, uh, conclusions because yeah no data uh, no conclusions <laughs> um, and and there I think typically uh, what com companies forget when they purchase a CRM and when they design or uh, engineer it is that first of all it is a sales enablement tool it should be looked upon as such and in close alignment with the sales team uh, uh, that they feel. Uh, uh, Included that they feel it does first of all enable them to do better, uh, to do sales better, and not that it feels as a reporting tool. And then personally, I, I don't want to uh, uh, rock the boat here too much, but for example, uh, in 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 Salesforce and and these kind of a things now with the new Lightning, it already improved, but there it still feels a little bit like it's very report driven, eh, uh, whatever. And there, for example, HubSpot for me is much more playable and, and dynamic and, and uh, uh, gamified. I, I like it more. And, and there to answer very concretely, I think, uh, uh, yeah, in, in one to, uh, sorry, in zero to one million euro, just uh, tracking deals in your pipeline in, in your uh, CRM with one amount is fine. That's what I think most SaaS companies, zero to one million euro will recognize themselves in when I say it. But I think uh, combined at least with tracking your revenue in an Excel sheet, there already it starts. Eh? I think I, some self-respecting companies do that, but you would be surprised how not accurately people can answer the most simple questions on how much did you make then or, or how much will you make then uh, based on the forecast. So again, this is also a lack of expertise maybe. Um, and and um, yeah, again, the sooner you do it, the sooner you create create the data points to then later do some some uh, 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 conclusions on, which in first line is uh, dashboarding, in second line later uh, forecasting, let's say in one to five million uh, euros. And there I would really expect that in their CRM in real time, the pipeline is present, but also revenue as it deals are signed and as revenue would fall, that the financial aspect, the revenue management of it is also really in the, the CRM. Uh, because up to then, it's, if we're honest, it's only been pipeline management, not the financial revenue management. Eh? That's often forgotten. And um, I think then there, yeah, if 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 you uh, scale that up some more, uh, you need, really need a sales ops, uh, a CRM analyst. It, it, uh, if you can these days, even a data scientist, if you can find them, if you have the right data, if you have a broad set of data, 
uh, it, it really can show a lot of value on, on yeah, showing what truly works, not what you think works. And that's also often <laughs> to do things that are. That's from one to, one to five already. Um, well, uh, the, the, sorry, the sales of CRM would be five to 10 already. I made the bridge okay. there. Okay. 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 With like, this is a very small team to already have a data analyst. It's okay. So, okay. So before that you go to, um, okay. So just to come back for one second, because you, you got me at, um, zero to one. And I know a lot of people are there. You say, okay, on one hand, you, you track your pipeline and CRM clear. I mean, whether it's Salesforce, HubSpot, uh, PipeDrive, it's all in there. But you combine that with tracking your revenue in an Excel. Can you elaborate on that? We had a view on that with committed deals, with uh, best case and so on. But can you explain for a lot of the people, um, on uh, listeners, what, what you mean by that? Uh, well, uh, specifically, um, uh, if, if I have the choice uh, or, or if one has the choice, I would strongly advise to already think is your enterprise sales deal really one uh, block of revenue? No, it's often a uh, startup cost. Uh, it, 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 that, that also is invoiced typically at a different moment than the actual first license. Um, uh, then there may be some hardware, maybe there's some consultancy, these kind of things. I would advise in HubSpot that you engineer already multiple fields where you already say this is indeed like you do your total deal size but that you add amount fields that can add and break down the, the amounts like I just described in saying, for us, we look at it, this is a startup fee, this is the license fee, this is this, this is that. And then also later in dashboarding, you have the data points you can actually do some magic with. If you don't have the data points, if it's just one deal amount, you can't do anything with it. So managing your revenue in HubSpot is also important. Um, it's related to having the data points. What I also advise, because HubSpot is it's, uh, good sides and it's downsides, I always speak of a mirroring deal where um, it's, it's RevOps, or, or there's, it's one deal, one total deal amount uh, in the pipe or in the sales pipeline. But as soon as it's closed, you uh, pull it apart and the sales ops pulls it apart in a completely different pipeline that's not maybe even visible to the salespeople. It's just to manage the revenue in HubSpot. And then you create these mini deals that says, okay, startup for deal one is so much. This is so much. You can even add starting dates, uh, ending dates uh, uh, to, 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 to actually uh, yeah, activate and, and steer these, these things in dashboard. So you come to a view that is a real-time representation of your revenue, but also in the multiple types of your service and products saying, uh, so we're, we're, uh, we're having so much in startup costs. We have so much in license A, so much license B that you monitor this. And that is post-closed one. I would, if you have the luxury, I think why, I guess, I guess that's also brings me to another thing, complacency in a way like, okay, if you then have founders that don't have the super professional, uh, CRO or, or sales leader background for them, it's all okay. But for me, it all starts there actually at zero to uh, 1 million where people too long say, yeah, Samash and it works. It's okay. But why, when you have the choice, not already start at also engineering that, eh? And, and if worst case, do that Excel eh, at the very least, and, and then just per deal, you, you, you write, uh, uh, what, what is the revenue that, that comes in that you create some forecasting in one, what's in the pipe, but more so the, the type of revenue management that is already closed, that you also have something in an Excel that says, ah, uh, uh, every month of next year, we will have so much money and, and, yeah. uh, 
is when each part of the deal will be activated in revenue where we can invoice. So that's the RevOps side of it. Eh? Yeah. All right, Stefan, thank you so much for joining me. Um, it was really a very interesting discussion. I hope uh, listeners have uh, enjoyed it. So um, everyone, thank you very much for this episode. We'll uh, put an end to this one. Thanks a lot for following us and um, see you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye. And that concludes today's episode of the Lead with Excellence show. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Of course, ratings and reviews are always welcome. And you can certainly share this episode with any of your colleagues or friends who might enjoy it. Thanks for listening. 